Section 36 of Chapters on Evolution by Andrew Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 13 The Evidence from the Constitution of Colonial or Compound Animals. Part 3. The point to which our inquiries have led us may be summed up in the conclusions, firstly, that animals exist either as simple or as compound individuals, the former typified by the higher animals at large and the latter by the zoophyte and the tapeworm tribe. A second inference deducible from our study is that the personality of an animal is in reality the direct result of its development and of the manner in which its parts and organs are structurally related to each other. And a third deduction follows from our biological experience, namely, that the separate parts, or zooids as we term them, of a compound individual are not necessarily connected by structural ties to the parent or primitive form. On the contrary, like the detached buds of hydra, the free jellyfishes of the zoophytes, or the apparently free and independent members of the plant lice fraternity, the zooids which make up the personality of the true individual may be scattered far and wide from the parent organism, and be yet tied by firm transcendental bonds to the stock of which they are really intimate parts. But a further question still besets us, namely as to the origin and meaning of the variations which animal individuality thus presents to view. If the true function of philosophy be that of affording a clue to the meaning of this world's phenomena by placing facts in their due relationship to each other, it follows that the higher knowledge of the varying individuality of living beings must resolve itself into an explanation of the causes through which such personality has been acquired. Such philosophy is necessarily founded upon that view of the order of nature which regards the universe as an arena of constant modification and progressive change, as opposed to the theory of its originally and inherent stable constitution. It is the theory of evolution, as opposed to that of specially designed ways and means in nature, which presents itself as the exponent of animal individuality and its causes. On the former hypothesis alone is the question of the individuality of living beings debatable, since the idea of stability in living organisms presents a dead wall to the further discussion of the present as well as most other biological topics. Hence the data of evolution and progressive descent, with modification, must in the present instance be used as a pathway along which our explanatory steps are to be pursued. That every living being begins life in a simpler guise than that in which it spends its adult existence is a kind of home truth in everyday life, as it is a dictum of biological science. The practical difference between a low and a high animal lies in the fact that the former does not advance much or anything beyond its primitive condition, whilst the latter in time exhibits an infinite complexity on its early structure. A gregarina or an amoeba are lower than an oyster because development leaves the two former with bodies but little more complex at the end of life than at their birth. The oyster, on the contrary, beginning as an amoeba-like germ, takes farewell of development as an organism of high complexity and as one whose frame exhibits a marked differentiation of its organs, parts, and tissues. Now if the body of a higher animal be analyzed out into its constituent parts, we may microscopically speak of it with the greatest possible exactness, as a collection of cells and fibers, or more simply, as a collection of cells, for the fibers arise from and are developed out of cells, so that even the complex frame of humanity is truly resolvable 
into groups of cells which, however varied in structure they may be, arise in their turn at the commencement of development, first from exactly similar cells, and more primitively from one and a single cell, the ovum or egg itself. Thus true it is that all the higher forms of life are aggregates of such morphological units or cells variously modified. But development teaches us something more. Every animal above the rank of the amoeba and its kind, and even these latter may be included in the statement, passes in the course of its personal progress towards maturity through a stage in which the original substance of the single primitive cell or egg breaks up into numerous other cells, through the subsequent arrangement of which the body of the organism is in due course developed. This epoch our developmental studies have familiarized us with under the designations of segmentation and the marula stage. In other words, there is an early tendency on the part of every animal and plant to depart from the single-celled stage and to exhibit a compound or collective structure. The egg, at first one cell, thus divides to form a colony. Nor may the transcendental glance cease at this stage of matters. If a colonial aggregation of cells at a very early stage of development be a reality of life, if some animals, sponge and hydra, for example, are but collections of primitive cells, a no less stable fact is expressed in the statement that in the adult body of the highest animals, such colonial aggregations are still to be traced. Each tissue of the human frame, in its most vital phase, is a colony of cells, a compound cellular individual, numbering its units by the thousands, and possessing the power of growing and reproducing new cells as truly as the zoophyte by budding repairs the constant loss to which its component parts are subject. And there may further exist in the highest animals cells or units which exhibit well-nigh as complete an independence of the frame in which they occur as do the animacular hosts outside. Thus the white corpuscles of the blood of all animals exactly resemble amoebae in structure, size, and movements. They are known to pass through the walls of blood vessels, to roam through the body at will, and are seen to exhibit an utter and complete independence of all the tissues of the body. More curious still, these white corpuscles have been seen to ingest solid particles, exactly as an amoeba or allied form receives its particles of food. It is not more wonderful, if we think the matter over, to find in our own bodies many true colonial aggregates of cells, than to discover that certain of the cells thereof have developed an independence and freedom of motion equal to that of an animacule living in its native haunts, and carried out through movements of exactly similar nature to those performed by the amoeba itself. Thus a first halting place in our philosophy of individuality may readily be found in the declaration that the colonial or compound body is in reality the normal constitution of all animals, save the very lowest. With the advance of life there has been exhibited a progress in complexity, and this progress has found structural expression in the conversion and multiplication of the original unit of the germ into the colonial and compound state. We ourselves are compound individuals in the sense that our physical personality is not single in any sense, but markedly multiple. Our individuality may be named doubly compound in the sense that, whilst each tissue may be held to represent a zooid or colonial member of the body as a whole, the tissues are in their turn made up of cells, each of which is a distinct morphological unit. If the above deduction be correct, founded as it is upon strict anatomical detail, 
it remains to discuss those cases of colonial aggregations in which the separate units are plainly recognizable as in zoophyte sea mat and tapeworm such cases will be found to differ not in kind but in degree only from the higher colonial organizations we have just described the zoophyte and the highest animal are separated by a gulf not impassable or fixed when the aid of broad generalization in comparative anatomy is invoked for there are firstly gradations and stepping stones connecting the two extremes and there exists moreover a general principle of development whereby the differences between the colonial nature of the higher and that of the lower form may be aptly expressed thus the sponge illustrates a case in which the colonial nature of the highest organisms is plainly enough foreshadowed a sponge or a hydra advances but a tithe of the developmental journey which a bird or quadruped has to pursue and as a result of its early arrest on the developmental pathway its component units evince but little elaboration on their primitive and animacular state if a sponge is a mass of amoebae as to its living parts it exists in this simple condition because there was no further need for a more intimate relationship between its various units the fact already mentioned that two freshwater sponges placed in contact unite into one shows the ill-defined nature of the individuality in a case like the present where the units are merely placed in apposition so to speak and united simply by the common skeleton they elaborate in a zoophyte which is in reality but little removed above the sponge in the animal series development and its attendant conditions whatever these latter may have been have together produced units as thoroughly distinct as those of the sponge but nevertheless connected in the work of nourishing and repairing the colony in the sea mats we see a stage of colonial development in an animal form which more nearly approaches the condition of the higher animals but which likewise lacks all the intimate features of connected interests seen therein the sea mat colony is an aggregate of units each of which we have seen to be perfectly independent save for external connections of its neighbor units there must thus exist a certain and not distant parallelism between a sea mat's constitution and that of higher beings inasmuch as both are colonial and in both the units exist in a relative but by no means corresponding degree of independence analogies are thus plentiful enough in showing us the stages which intervene between the dependence and connection of the units in higher life and the comparative independence of those in lower life but the cases of the naeus or river worm as well as those of the plant lice and bees show us plainly enough the amazing possibilities of highly organized animals becoming colonial organisms even with complete separation and detachment of the units of the colony which however in the case of the bees as social insects is again reconstructed in the institution of a cooperative life and existence in the naeus we see illustrated a tendency towards repetition of zooids which may be viewed as leading towards an appreciation of the manner in which an originally jointed animal itself colonial in one sense advances towards the condition of the plant lice and bees with free and separate units it is not more surprising we may repeat to find the insect individual with its separated and detached units than to discover in the higher bird or quadruped the same colonial structure but one likewise which is closely combined and intimately related as to its elementary parts the possibilities of life are facts indeed which in the present case cut both ways 
demonstrating, even if leaving the main collateral facts unexplained, how in the higher spheres of animal society the independence of an animal colony may perfectly coexist with the interdependence of its original units. But there exists for the biologist a final and authoritative court of appeal in the matter of the origin of the colonial constitution and its modifications, in the facts and teachings of development. The general tendency of any organism undergoing development is, as we have seen, one leading it towards differentiation and division of its primitive and originally simple substance. Even in the lowest confines of life, we witness this tendency towards segregation and multiplication of its parts. The Gregorina exhibits such a process, and the early stages of all living beings are marked by the segmentation and division of the germ. Conversely, as we ascend the scale of being, we witness as marked a tendency towards concentration and amalgamation of at least the superficial aspects of the organism. The higher animal or plant is not so markedly colonial as the lower organism. Externally, indeed, there may be no trace in the higher organism of compound nature, whilst, as we have seen, the intimate constitution of its tissues fully reflects its colonial constitution. Then also, a rest of the process of development seems to increase the tendency towards the colonial organization. The tapeworms may, on good authority, be regarded as animals whose development has been arrested at an early stage of that process. We may readily enough conceive that, but for such arrest, these animals might have progressed towards that higher type of worm structure seen in leech, naeus, or earthworm in which the separate joints practically represent the elements of a colony in close and inseparable union. Thus a leech or earthworm, like the higher animal, is colonial. It represents the transition stage between a low colony with loosely aggregated units, such as the sponge typifies, and the higher colony in which the units have become closely merged together, as in the bird or quadruped. This view of the intermediate place of these animals is not merely supported by their position in the animal tree, but likewise by the fact that each apparently closely connected joint of a true worm accurately represents the structure and functions of every other joint of the body, save, indeed, the specially modified segments of head and tail. The worms and their allies thus become interesting in our eyes from the fact that they present us with examples of that degree of development which, whilst leading towards union of the original units of the organism, yet leaves their identity sufficiently distinct to permit their ideal separation and the realization of their originally colonial nature through the exercise of a free philosophy. Thus we again conclude that the primitive and earliest condition of structure in the living series is the colonial and compound condition. We arrive at this conclusion from a survey of the teachings of development, which shows us, firstly, that everywhere the germ in its earliest state tends to division and multiplication. Secondly, we note that many organisms, such as the lower colonies of protoplasmic forms, or even the mere primitive sponges themselves, remain permanently in a colonial condition, which would naturally enough represent permanent arrest of development in the early stages of egg development. Thirdly, we learn that arrest of development, even at a later stage, may produce the colonial organizations of higher types. This latter view meets the case of the tapeworms and of the true worms likewise. 
in the latter as represented by the naeus we see the hereditary tendency towards colony making reproduced as accurately in the buddings of new individuals from the parent body as in the perpetual budding of the zoophyte last of all we see in the highest animals the same innate and fundamental constitution on the basis of the colony the human frame morphologically viewed is a collection of cell colonies produced by segregation of more primitive collections of units and primarily if the story told by development be true by the modification first of one cell and secondly of one original series of cells the fundamental constitution of the living worlds thus appears to be of colonial nature it remains for us to discover how the compound constitution has merged into these united and single personalities we regard as the highest members of the animal and plant series in a word how the colony has become the individual the highest type of which we recognize in ourselves if varying conditions have operated to produce the diverse constitutions of animals and plants we see displayed before our waiting eyes today we may justly assume that a more complex series of causes than we are able to determine is responsible for the origin of those higher natures of which we ourselves form part yet here and there clues to the understanding of the problem are not wanting in the considerations which the study of even lower grades of life disclose to view the apparently single nature of the germ from which high and low organisms alike spring may best be explained perhaps on grounds connected with the husbanding of vital power and on the idea that the apparent unity and singleness of the germ naturally reproduce the constitution of the single cells or units of the compound organism from which they spring the egg or germ in a word reflects in its first stage the constitution of the particular unit from which it was derived in its secondary stage it repeats the colonial condition of which its parent unit formed part and the features of which it is destined in due time to reproduce as however we survey the fields of animal and plant existence we discover plainly marked tendencies of development which fully account for the advance from the true colonial constitution of zoophyte tapeworm and social insect to the marked and apparently single personality of higher life the higher we rise in the organic series the less marked becomes the tendency to devote the energies of life to the perpetuation of the species or race and the more perfectly do the powers which concentrate ennoble and advance the individual interests become developed it is a self-evident fact that in lower life much of the bodily energy is occupied with the development of new individuals or in the case of an animal colony with increase of the colonial membership one has but to glance at the zoophyte races to find clear proof of this latter statement imitating the plant creation in the fullness of their vegetable growth the tribes of zoophytes and the tapeworm race with its millions of ova and indefinite reproductive power as well unquestionably possess as their chief end the perpetuation of the race how changed is the physiological prospect in higher existence there the energies are devoted to the improvement sustenance and development of the individual there is less devotion to the species as compared with what obtains in lower forms and the colonial interests whilst still represented and conserved are limited in their scope and direction to the development of new tissue matter the higher animal in short is not obviously colonial in the sense that a zoophyte or a sea mat is compound 
because the energies and forces as well as the material which in the lower being reproduces readily the form of the organism are devoted to other functions life in the lower and compound organism is made up of one common interest namely the increase of the colony and species in the higher animal life becomes a far more personal matter and its aims are more distinctly individualized existence in the colonial zoophyte is passed so to speak in marriage and giving in marriage and the interests of the race are bound up in the work of its own extension in the higher organism individual interests in the life of the single organism occupy the greater part of its energies so that to use an expressive dictum quote, the organism is like a society in which everyone is so engrossed by his special business that he has neither time nor inclination to marry unquote. There is abundant illustration at hand of the view that the cultivation of individual interests destroys, by concentration of energy, the colonial organization. Such an opinion finds its confirmation in the details of higher animal existence and in the disappearance of those powers of bodily separation after injury which characterize lower life. The organic republic or colony in which every unit is as good as its neighbor is typically and perfectly represented in the zoophyte but this thoroughgoing republicanism is as impossible of continuance in higher physical existence and in spheres biological as it is found to be incompatible with the political development of nations that is to say as in the life political here and there special developments cause men to shoot ahead of their neighbors and to distance their competitors in the struggle for existence by individual strength and excellence so in the life biological there is the same tendency to development of individual faculties and powers over the common interests, and the same conversion of the colonial organization into the concentrated structure and functions of the individual organism. In the plant world, there is a similar tendency towards concentration as the concomitant of higher life. The colonial nature of many of the lowest plants, for example, volvox, which consists of aggregated masses of protoplasm, is undoubted but in the highest plant life also the colonial nature is far more strongly marked than in many animals of by no means the highest grade where the leaf type represents itself indefinitely where bud resembles bud and where there is witnessed the gradual transformation of leaf type into flower type and of flower into the full fruition of plant life there is presented to our mental view an exact picture of the budding zoophyte with its series of similar units here and there these units become modified now for this function now for that but exhibiting the closest parallelism with the plant in that its reproductive bodies are but modifications of the ordinary members of the colony as the flower in turn is but the last term in the modification of the leaf thus as asa gray well puts it quote, in the ascending gradation of the vegetable kingdom individuality is so to say striven after but never obtained in the lower animals it is striven after with greater though incomplete success it is realized only in animals of so high a rank that vegetative multiplication or offshoots are out of the question where all parts are strictly members and nothing else and all subordinated to a common nervous center it is fully realized only in a conscious person unquote. end of section thirty six chapter thirteen the Evidence from the Constitution of Colonial or Compound Animals, Part 3.